Well, it's uh, Wednesday night uh, once again. Time to take up our Bibles together uh, as uh, members and friends of Central Baptist Church. And we're going to be looking at another passage from Romans chapter 13. And uh, looking forward to this topic tonight. It really would be great if we could actually have some uh, interaction and discussion together and just see how we can practically implement in our own lives and in the context of our church uh, what God is teaching us and will be exposing us to this this evening from this passage. So welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. And why don't you bow your head and let's just pray together, committing this time uh, to the Lord. Lord, it's a privilege for us to know you, your existence, but also who you are, much of your nature that you've revealed to us. And Lord, that you're not distant or removed, but that you are with us, among us. And Lord, even the scriptures that affirm that we have your Holy Spirit within us, those who know you and walk with you. And so as we come together tonight, as we seek, Lord, to just uh, study and focus our attention on a a particular passage of Scripture, it is our longing for you to be at work in us. Lord, that we would not be those who are mere gatherers of information, but also that you would help us, give us the inclination of heart and also the ability to keep in step with your Spirit in working out, Lord, your salvation led and uh, uh, guided by your word we pray. And so we ask, Lord, for your hand upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Romans chapter 13, and do take up your Bible. And uh, just following on from where we were last time, and picking, picking the, the chapter up in verse 8. And Paul writes, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, uh, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor; therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I found it uh, somewhat surprising, or just wondered about what is it that God is saying to us here at Central Baptist Church where in a number of the messages and, and passages that we've been dealing with recently, the uh, issue of loving one another has been uh, before us. We know too as a church that uh, three desires, intentions that we have, the one is to love God, or worship God, uh, the second one to love one another, to care for one another. And then the third one, to impact the world. But once again this evening, we have before us uh, this command. And it is a command to love one another. It's not a new command. It's uh, not new to you. It's not new to me. Uh, Jesus also thanked his disciples, very clearly instructing them in John chapter 13 and verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Now, the difficulty of coming to a passage like this, and, and I, I indicated this in my prayer, just asking God that he would help us to take this kind of passage beyond theory. 
beyond verses that we memorize, uh, beyond beyond theology that we know, but but actually to 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 be active, to to actually implement, to carry out the very thing that he is commanding us to do. And we have here the Apostle Paul uh, also saying in this verse eight, "Owe no one anything except." To love each other. And so right at the outset, my very first heading and first point is very straightforward uh, from the passage is that you and I have an obligation to love each other. Now, we've looked at various passages uh, on love recently, but but, uh, this evening we're going to look at it uh, as Paul brings it to us this evening in the context of our indebtedness to love. I want us to think about that and, and, and even ask you, wh- what does it mean? What does it mean uh, that we owe a debt to love one another? How do we understand this indebtedness to love one another? And so to ask a question tonight, to, to know what is popular practice and, and popular thinking and to assess, well, is that thinking right? Is that practice what we ought to be doing? And so is this obligation, does this obligation to love, uh, to reach out to others, extend only to those who have given you something? So in other words, the thinking is, well, someone's given me something, therefore I am indebted to them, and I need to give them something back in return. And we know that practice within the context even of our church. I've often heard it said, well, you invited us for a meal, so therefore we will invite you for a meal. Or perhaps even feeling a little uh, offended that that having invited someone, there wasn't a return invitation given at a particular point in time. So the thinking is, and it's common thinking, if you fill my bucket, uh, then I will fill your bucket. Or if you speak my love language, then I will speak your love language. It's it's a thinking that says, well, whatever you do to me uh, places me in a position where I then owe you uh, something in return. Well, that's not what is meant by this passage tonight. This is not what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Jesus squashed obliterated that kind of thinking, that kind of debt. And he does so in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 46, and I read, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And in all honesty, Jesus is right. That's the practice of most people in the world. It's uh, you do something for me and, and I'll do something for you. And so the gaping hole with that kind of approach is that to love everyone extends beyond people who've done something for you because there are many people who haven't done anything for you or for me or even for someone else. Now, there are various various reasons for that. Uh, Sometimes people just don't do anything for uh, somebody else because they don't know the people. Uh, It could be that you are backing off in a relationship or backing off from a particular person because you've been offended by them or they've hurt you in the past. uh, And perhaps they've been unkind to you or they've ignored you. This passage is saying... 
that doesn't exclude them. They're still part of everyone that this debt of love is owed. You still and I still have an obligation to love those who hurt us, who ignore us, who offend us. Even looking at the picture of the Good Samaritan, the well-known parable that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 10, uh, the Good Samaritan did not know the person, the Jew, lying in the ditch. The wounded man never did anything for the Samaritan, and yet the Samaritan became a debtor to the wounded man. Now, that's not the intention of the parable. I'm simply using it as an illustration. But I do want to ask the question tonight, and again, as we engage with with each other, as you uh, speak amongst each other in a group, if you are going to meet in a group, how do you become a debtor to others? How do you become a debtor to the needy or to even those who are hurtful people in the pathway of your daily life? And again, just to give you some sort of um, guideline and an outline, I ask the question, why should you love those who do nothing for you? And I'm sure there are many people who do nothing for you. Well, at the start of the letter, we want to try and understand where the Apostle Paul is coming from. At the start of the letter, we have um, some insight into Paul's grasp of this idea of indebtedness. He's thinking of indebtedness. He describes his debt to the world, and he does that in chapter 1 and, and verse 14. He speaks of an obligation that he has, and he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Why would he be under obligation to all these people? And then we read on in verse 15 that he eagerly pays this debt of love to the world that he encounters. And how does he do that? He goes out of his way to communicate to them the good news of the gospel. He preaches the gospel. There is an indebtedness that he feels to the peoples around him and further afield. Now we can see, if we go back earlier on in chapter 1 and verse 5, how he got to the place of having that debt or that sense of indebtedness. And the bottom line is this. God gave to Paul something he did not deserve. And as a believer, yet tonight, whether that be you or me, God has given to you, God has given to me something I did not deserve. Let me read the verse. He says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. And so the important lesson that, that, that we need to take from what Paul is teaching is that the debt of love that you and I have to others is not because they've done anything for us. The debt is because Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done everything for us when we did not deserve it any more than the world deserves love from you and me. And once again, we're just seeing here uh, grace 
in operation. When Christ loves us freely, when he gives his love to us and for us, when he takes away our sin and our guilt and condemnation and he, and he brings us into uh, the, the, the unity of the family of God, all this while we were yet sinners. We become debtors to all people. I think there's a chorus that just comes to mind. We used to sing it back, I think it was in the 70s. Uh, freely you've received, freely give. Freely you've received uh, grace, freely give to others grace. In its expressions, and as I'm going to show you just now, love uh, is a, a comprehensive expression of grace uh, to, to others. Now, you may be thinking, and certainly I was thinking, if, if, if Christ, if Jesus is the one that gave me what I don't deserve, why then am I not indebted to him? Why am I indebted to other people? Why not pay him back for what he has done for us? Well, the short answer is, and again, this is only understood if we really understand who God is and who we are, him as the infinite and eternal, uh, holy and majestic God, and we as finite, sinful creatures, that he does this for us, it would be impossible. You can't pay him back, even if you try. None of us can pay him back. It is impossible. It is, it is not feasible to pay back an infinite debt. It's an insult to think that we can repay the debt that has been settled on behalf of us by Jesus and the reason I say that, and again, it, it comes back to our understanding of grace. Grace would not be grace if there was any possibility, any chance of us being able to repay some of that which has been given to us. Grace is free. Otherwise, it is not grace. And it's that that makes us free to show grace to others, to show love freely to others, since our love to others flows from the love that Christ has given us, not from what others have given us. They don't deserve it. They can't deserve it like we don't deserve it. And Jesus makes this point in, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8. He says, uh, this is now speaking to those who were following and serving him. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. So God has given, and I want to use the analogy here. God has given to the believer bucket loads of sugar. Bucket loads. He gave it. We did not deserve it. We did not earn it. And the point is, share it. Share it with those around you. And so really to put that in a, a summary, uh, your debt, my debt to others, is an obligation created by what we received but which, must, but which must not be paid to the one who gave it, but to others like us 
who did not and do not deserve it. So the pressure to pay doesn't come from the merit of the one. Uh, so let me repeat my sentence there. The pressure to pay doesn't come from the merit of the one we pay, but from the mercy we received. Mercy from Christ himself. And, and again, well-known scriptures that just reinforce this kind of thinking. Uh, 1 John 3 verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, doesn't end there, continues, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Also, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Doesn't get clearer than that. So if God so loved you and God so loved me, you and I also ought to love the unlovely. You see, it's easy to love people we like or people that we connect with or identify or of, of, of the same kind of thinking or we have similar hobbies or perhaps even the same culture. No, no, no. We ought to love others, whether that be in the context of a difficult marriage, whether that be in the context of a difficult family life, where there may be a difficult parent and, or a difficult child or a hard situation, a, a colleague at work, a, somebody who's always whining or a, a draining neighbor, whoever, whatever the case may be. The indebtedness to love. Which leaves me, which leaves me now uh, uh, with us moving on to my second uh, question. How do you fulfill this obligation to love one another. And I again indicated this, and I'm repeating myself, the importance of translating what we learn from the Word of God into everyday practice. Now, <clears throat> a superficial reading uh, of verse 8, looking at the specifics of verse 8, can lead you to the conclusion that there is this settling or the need of, of the settling of all debt with the exception of loving one another. There were some Christians, and probably are and have been some Christians, who believe, in, and I'm including a George Muller, by the way, who believed this, holding that any kind of debt should be paid and never repeated, broader than the context of specific debt of love. And I'm going to try and elaborate on that just now. So in other words, you should not have uh, a lease on your car. You should not have a bond on your house. And so don't owe anybody any money. Don't owe anybody anything. Well, is that what the verse is saying? Is that right? It is true. No doubt that we should be good stewards, good managers of all that God gives us. We should not be irresponsible when it comes to uh, indebtedness financially to others or to anybody around us. We should not be irresponsible and especially trying to pursue a kind of standard of living that we can't afford. Absolutely agree with that. But the question remains, is, is love the only debt that cannot be settled. A deeper look at the context over here shows that it's not the case. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 13, pay to all what is owed to them 
And the examples he gives, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, we know that this year's taxes get paid, but we know that next year we have to pay them again. So the indebtedness is repeated. And and, and it's true with almost anything. Uh, honor and respect. We, we, we don't only give to people the respect uh, that is required once. It's something we keep on doing. And it is true that your debt of love can never be settled. If you love someone now, evening, 7 o'clock, show them some kind of expression of love or a kind deed, you can do that again tomorrow. So there's, there's the repeat, there's the constant need to uh, do this and, and to do that, of course, in other areas of life like honor and respect. Now that brings me to a broader uh, thought about the debt to love. It's not just that there are some debts that we can pay, uh, but love can never be paid. Uh, there's something more that has been said over here. And the something more is that every debt you pay, and this is where I'm going to be spending the next few minutes, every single debt that you pay, whether it be taxes or mortgages or municipal accounts or respect or honor, whatever it is, let them all be acts of love. How then do you fulfill your obligation to love each other? The answer, don't put love in a category. This is what, what, what I believe the apostle is saying here. Be careful, be careful not to put love in a category separate from all the other acts in your life. And in fact, again, to quote a scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. And so my next sub-point, uh, let everything be done in love. Now, I did uh, think of an illustration to make my point over here, thinking back to my school days, and the subject of chemistry would be useful. The result is very different. Now, think back to your own school days, or perhaps you can even try this as an experiment. The result is very different when you stir a spoonful of salt or sugar into a glass of water compared to stirring a spoonful of oil into a glass of water. I'm sure immediately you can picture that in your mind. So if you drink your tea after stirring in a spoonful of sugar, it makes the whole cup of tea sweet from the beginning of the drink right through to the end of it. Whereas, whereas, and I know I get frustrated, constantly frustrated, and find myself uh, getting annoyed with Greek salad dressing. I love Greek salad dressing. But I find that that I constantly have to shake it up because the minute I put it down on the table, the oil settles on top of the remaining water and liquid in the bottle. What's happening? There's a bit of chemistry. I'm thinking about uh, what's happening. Sugar and salt dissolve into the water the water is a solvent, okay? whereas oil does not dissolve. The sugar and salt permeate the entire solution, 
whereas oil just floats on top of the water. So salt and sugar are soluble, whereas oil is insoluble. Hope I haven't lost you. Now, I want to tell you that love is like that illustration from chemistry that I've just tried to explain. There are two types of love around in the world amongst us people. One is oil-like, insoluble, and the other is salt-like, and we could then say it is soluble. So then let's look back at the passage in chapter 12 and verse 9 where Paul urged uh, on the believers, he said, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Now the point, the point he's making over here is there's no shortage of love around, especially of the insoluble type. The kind of love that expects something in return, the kind of love that is self-absorbed and selfishly selected, selective, and it's the kind of love that is isolated to particular individuals. And that's not the kind of love that God calls us as believers to exercise. He calls you to practice the kind of love that permeates the kind of love that spreads into every relationship, everyone we come into contact with. So to use the chemistry illustration, love ought to be the sugar stirred into every corner of your life, affecting every attitude and relationship. So practically, Back to some of the examples given us here in this passage. Do you owe taxes? Don't pay with the gloomy, resentful and irritated spirit. Mark will be glad to hear that. Do you have a bond? Don't pay because you, if you don't, you're in trouble. You pay for your municipal services. We Christians do so. It's an expression of our love. You see, you can grit your teeth and I can grit my teeth in bitterness and resentment and uh, going ahead and just fulfilling duties, and or you can do it in love. In the context of closer relationships, in the family, in the marriage, in, 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 in the context of, of the church. And so the point that this passage is teaching us and applying in our lives is that love can be uh, uh, applicable whether you're paying the tax man or you're responding to your spouse. The debt of love can be paid whether you're doing your job at work on Monday, serving in the worship team on Sunday. Genuine love, the sugar stirred in kind of love, will diffuse into every category of your life when you understand love is described in that well-known passage uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. So don't think of love only as something that is active when you have a person in mind. Love is not just an action toward a person. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a disposition that produces behavior that are good, that is good for us people. So Paul's description of love contains almost entirely 
inner dispositions, not outward actions. And, and, and that's the nature of Christianity. Remember the context. We've had 11 chapters of Romans unpacking and unfolding the wonder of the gospel to undeserving sinners. And then we get to that hinge point in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, 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 and all of these specifics, love being now one of them, looking at that and saying this as a consequence of becoming a believer, having a new heart, being a new creature in Christ. So genuine love is an act of the soul. In being faithful, is it to your spouse or respect for another person's property or seeing human life as sacred or seeing the highest possible good for your neighbor? We see this in uh, chapter 13 from verse 8. For the, one, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he quotes for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. Love does no wrong to your neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. So law and love are not opposites. They can't be because Jesus summarized the whole law in terms of love in Matthew chapter 22. Let love, let everything be done in love. Just one last comment that I want to make, and, and I've, I've put it under the heading, use the natural measure. The question to ask, to what extent must you and I love others? To what extent? Verse 9. Any other commandment is summed up in this word, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now there's a lot of misunderstanding with that particular verse, but I want to suggest to you tonight, tell you tonight that this is not speaking to the issue of self-esteem, speaking of yourself here. Rather, it assumes it assumes that all of us love ourselves already. Each of us is committed to do what makes us happy. Isn't that true? You will do, and I will do what makes me happy. You will do what makes you happy. And so self-love exists to some extent, at least in all people, and, and even uh, amongst those who are hurting. When Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not talking about learning to gather some kind of self-esteem so you can love others. He's talking about your built-in desire for happiness becoming the measure of your desire for the happiness of others. So the point is, make the degree of your self-seeking the measure of self-giving. Now I'll try and elaborate on that. In the same way that you're energetic in pursuing your own happiness, be creative in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. If your love is genuine, then it will be worked out in right action. <coughs> You and I will treat others, and this is really the point Jesus made elsewhere, do unto others as you would have them do to you. You and I will treat others as we would like them to treat us. And that's a very easy uh, principle to apply. And again, let me give you some examples. If you don't want to be ignored by others, you must not snub others. You don't want 
You don't want uh, to be listened to. <coughs> Excuse me, I put that in the, in the negative incorrectly. You want to be listened to, then you will listen to others. It, so what do you expect for yourself? Give to others. You want to be treated with gentleness and sensitivity? You will do the same for others. You want a new car? You'll be happy for others when they get a new car. You want to be paid a fair salary? You will pay a fair salary to those who work for you. You want others to take care of your property? You'll take off care of their property. You get the idea? You want your wife to be faithful? Well, then you need to be faithful and vice versa. You see, normally self-seeking cravings, and this is where I don't want to be misunderstood, are the end of, of distorted love. So it's all about self. Whereas genuine love has self-love as the measure, as the starting point of loving others, doing so much more than would be natural. This then is how you fulfill your obligation to love each other. Now again, uh, just as I conclude, we are living in times where it's challenging because we are not in the routine of uh, seeing each other week by week, whether it be on Sundays or weekly Bible studies or, or ministries that we're involved in. So it, it does take an added initiative and effort in the same way that you would like people to be in touch with you. Won't you consider being in touch with them in response to this kind of study tonight. And to ask yourself the question, what is the nature of love in your life? Is it soluble like sugar, uh, permeating your very being and spilling over into every attitude and action and relationship? Or is it insoluble like oil, selfishly selective and self-absorbed? That's a challenging study to me, and I hope it also has been a challenge to you. We have one final slide, and again, as we have done every week, there are some questions, and these questions uh, may form the basis of some discussion and further study, and perhaps even revising and reviewing, practically applying uh, some of uh, the content of this evening's study. So why don't you take uh, a picture with your, your phone, and you can have those available uh, when you're able to do so. But let's conclude in a word of prayer. Lord, this is such a crucial issue in each one of our lives. And Lord, to even pray, asking that you would help us to love each other more. And Lord, to do so, expecting, uh, Lord, not from others, what we ourselves are not prepared to do. But may we be willing, Lord, on the basis all that you've done for us in giving what we do not deserve in grace, help us to show grace to others as well. And so as a church, may we shed abroad, may we be those who have shed abroad in our hearts the love of Christ, evident, seen by all, and ultimately this pointing back to you as the one who so generously and uh, kindly, compassionately dispenses grace to undeserving sinners. I want to pray for those who are particularly in need tonight and even hurting, feeling lonely or perhaps even isolated. We do pray, Lord, for them and draw close to them. Help them to know that you have not abandoned them, that you will never leave nor forsake uh, your sheep. 
and encourage them with your word, even perhaps even with this word tonight we pray, and help us to continue as a church to know, uh, Lord, that all that we have is from your hand. And so go with us and uh, enable us, we pray, in all things, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be with you all.